I may be wrong. I mean, I may stand before you in six months and say, hey, I was wrong. I don't know that I'll ever admit that, but I'll find a, I'll find some kind of an excuse. Yeah. First true thing he's ever said. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, where we were up very, very late last night and into this morning. So uh, apologies if I'm uh, even more confused than usual, Desi Doyen. Yeah, I know. Watching that show. Yep. Uh, We'll talk about that show in a moment. Uh, Meanwhile, on Tuesday, primary elections are being held in five states, Maine, North Dakota, South Carolina, Virginia, and Nevada, where they still use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across the entire great state of Nevada. We will uh, give, uh, well, there are mostly uh, easygoing today at the polls so far. That's what we hear. Uh, As a matter of fact, low turnout in a number of the states, including South Carolina, Uh, I wanted to give electoral politics a brief respite today so we will have any noteworthy results and or problem reports from the polls on tomorrow's program. Though I will say this, like clockwork does uh, in the uh, where is this? The Las Vegas Review Journal. Some hiccups during (laughs) voting in Nevada primary election. Some hiccups. They always say that. Do they have any glitches on, sir, for today? snafus. There was actually, (laughs) the article actually refers to kinks. Oh, kinks. Uh, That's a fresh one. That is. That's a new one to dismiss these problems. Yeah, exactly. So I will talk about those dismissed problems uh, affecting uh, voters across Nevada. Uh, hopefully on tomorrow's show as we learn more about them. Later on today's show, Des, you will join us for the latest Green News Report. Yes, I will. In which we learn that, uh, yes, climate change was at the center of Donald Trump's decision to break his commitment to our G7 allies and pull out of signing (laughs) that end-of-summit communique up in uh, Canada, which he had committed to signing on to before leaving the conference early to head to Singapore and then turning against our longtime allies and neighbors to the north in Canada. 
even as he was uh, preparing to reach out to the brutal dictator of North Korea at the same time. Strange world we all live in now, isn't it? Strange days indeed. So let's start there today, and we'll be joined by a former State Department official with much expertise in Asia and the Korean Peninsula shortly to try and make sense of what happened and what didn't in Singapore on Tuesday morning. But I think we need a reminder about this. Here's the lead from the New York Times March 12, 2016, way back then. That was so long ago. This is probably, uh, I had to pull this out from the the microfiche (laughs) at the library to find out what the Times said in 2016. In an article headlined, In hail of bullets and fire, North Korea killed official who wanted reform. They report in 2016 that in late 2013, Jang Song-thak an uncle of Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, was taken to the Gangung Military Academy in Pyongyang, uh, in a suburb in Pyongyang. Hundreds of officials were gathered there to witness the execution of Mr. Jang's two trusted deputies in the administrative department of the ruling Workers' Party. The two men were torn apart by anti-aircraft machine guns. According to South Korea's National Intelligence Service, the executioners then incinerated their bodies with flamethrowers. Jang Song-thak, Kim's own uncle, widely considered the second most powerful figure in the North at the time, fainted during the ordeal. According to a book published in South Korea that offers a rare glimpse into the secretive Pyongyang regime, Son-in-law of a Theocracy by Ra Jong-il, a former deputy director of the National Intelligence Service, is a rich biography of Mr. Jang, the most prominent victim of the purges his young nephew had conducted after assuming power in 2011. The Times notes that Mr. Jang was then convicted of treason in 2013 himself. He was then executed at the same place and in the same way as his deputies, according to the South Korean intelligence agency. That would be Kim Jong-un's own uncle. Shot with anti-aircraft machine guns, broken in pieces, and then burned with flamethrowers. The book asserts that although he was a fixture of the North Korean political elite for decades, he dreamed of reforming his country. With his execution, North Korea lost virtually the only person there who could have helped the country introduce reform and openness, Mr. Ra said during a recent interview with The New York Times. That, of course, is just one example of the brutal regime of not just the the Kim family, but of its current ruler, Kim Jong-un himself. The man who Donald Trump described in glowing terms as he shared the world stage with him on Tuesday to sign a... Two-page joint declaration in which the two men offer a statement, essentially offering a commitment to commit to working together, a vague and undefined suggestion of denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula, similar if more vague than previous declarations between the U.S. and North Korea, and for which Donald Trump has already rewarded Kim by treating him as an equal on the world stage with the gift of security guarantees. For the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, or DPRK, as the North refers to itself. A personal meeting with and great accolades from the President of the United States on the world stage, treating him as an equal, which Kim 
his father before him and his grandfather before him, all brutal dictators themselves, have sought for some 70 years since the country came into existence following the armistice after the Korean War in 1953. What they want, what they wanted, they got last night from Donald Trump. On Tuesday morning after signing the ceremony and then Trump's hour-long press conference in Singapore, ABC's George Stephanopoulos sat down with Donald Trump and asked him about the brutality of Kim's regime. Trump said, that stuff doesn't matter. Just a few months ago, you accused him of starving his people. And then listen, here's the rub. Uh, Kim is a brutal dictator. He runs a police state uh, for starvation, labor camps. He's assassinating members of his own family. How do you trust a killer like that? George, I'm given what I'm given, okay? I mean, this is what we have, and this is where we are. And I can only tell you from my experience, and I met him, I've spoken with him, and I've met him, and uh, I think that he really wants to do a great job for North Korea. I think he wants to denuke. It's very important. Uh, without that, there's nothing to discuss. That was on the table at the beginning, and you see a total denuclearization of North Korea. So important. With all of that being said, I can't talk about it doesn't matter. We, we're starting from scratch. We're starting right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're starting from scratch. We're starting right now. Now, I'm not sure the uh, family of Otto uh, uh, Warmbier, the young 22-year-old uh, American man, a college student who was arrested in North Korea, uh, sentenced to 15 years in prison but held for 17 months before being released in a comatose state less than one year ago, before he then died in June of last year. I'm not sure his family would say it doesn't matter. We're starting from scratch. We're starting right now. Um, I would say that's pretty unlikely that they would agree with that characterization. Uh, and by the way, Donald Trump was furious about that one year ago. In any event, the barely two-page uh, statement here, agreement, document, letter, whatever, signed by the two men with much pomp and ceremony on Tuesday, Reads thusly, President Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un conducted a comprehensive, in-depth and sincere exchange of opinions on the issues related to the establishment of new U.S. DPRK relations and the building of lasting and robust peace of a lasting and robust peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. President Trump committed to provide security guarantees to the DPRK and Chairman Kim Jong-un reaffirmed his firm and unwavering commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Though what either of those things uh, mean actually is not specified at all in this document. It goes on to read, convinced that the establishment of new U.S. DPRK relations will contribute to the peace and prosperity of the Korean Peninsula and of the world, and recognizing that mutual confidence building can promote the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, whatever that means, President Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un state the following. One, the U.S. and the DPRK commit to establishing new U.S. DPRK relations in accordance with the desire of the peoples of the two countries for peace and prosperity. Two, the U.S. and the DPRK will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace, regi peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. Three, Reaffirming the April 27, 2018 Panmunjom Declaration, the DPRK commits to work toward 
complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Four, the U.S. and the DPRK commit to recovering POW MIA remains, including the immediate uh, repatriation of those already identified. Having acknowledged that the U.S. DPRK summit, the first in history, was an epical event of great significance in overcoming decades of tensions and hostilities between the two countries and for the opening up of a new future, President Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un commit to implement the stipulations in this joint statement fully and expeditiously. The United States and the DPRK commit to hold follow-up negotiations to implement the outcomes of the U.S.-DPRK summit. President Trump of the United States of America, Chairman Kim Jong-un of the State Affairs Commission of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, have committed to cooperate for the development of new U.S.-DPRK relations and for the promotion of peace, prosperity, and security of the Korean Peninsula and of the world, signed Donald J. Trump and Kim Jong-un. Sentosa Island in uh, in Singapore. That is pretty much the entire thing. No commitment. By the way, I had to look up uh, epical. Uh, that means uh, forming or characterizing an epoch, epoch-making. I see. In case you're wondering uh, what that means. I uh, wasn't, but thank you. So it's <laughs> a, a new epoch for us all, apparently. Some of the responses that came in via Twitter after the agreement was signed, uh, as I said, with much pomp and ceremony and eventually released on Tuesday. Michael McFall, the former U.S. ambassador to Russia, said our negotiators achieved nothing new, not one new concession in exchange for legitimization of uh, the North Korean dictator. Robert E. Kelly political science professor at Pusan National University in South Korea said, wow, if this is it, this is depressing. This is even thinner than most skeptics anticipated. I figured Trump would at least get some missiles or a site closure or something concrete. This looks pretty generic. Maybe there will be some surprise in the presser. He was talking about the press conference that followed uh, after uh, uh, Kim left and Trump held an hour-long press conference uh, by himself. Um, the surprise in that presser was that Trump announced to the shock of both South Korea and the U.S. Pentagon, apparently, that uh, he told Kim he would no longer hold war games, uh, military exercises with South Korea, which the North has long regarded as provocative and a rehearsal for invasion of their country. Trump even used that word provocative in describing them during the presser and then later on in uh, his interview with George Stephanopoulos. Yes, and he also used the word war games, the phrase war games, which is not something that a U.S. president has ever said before. These really? are, Yeah, these are military exercises. And he called them war games. He did, which is the North Korean regime's word for it. And that was, uh, well, that was uh, the big surprise, uh, at least one of them in the press conference that followed, to which Robert E. Kelly, that uh, professor in uh, in South Korea, said, two more Trump concessions just in this presser. Stop stopping U.S.-South Korea military exercises and hoping to withdraw U.S. troops from South Korea and what have we gotten from North Korea for these? Stop giving away stuff for nothing, says Kelly. 
Uh, Andre Lank, uh, Lankoff, the uh, director of the Korea Risk Group, said uh, via NK News, we expected it would be a flop, but it's floppier than anything we expected. Oh, wow. The declaration, he says, is pretty much meaningless. The American uh, could have extracted serious concessions, but it was not done. The North Koreans will be emboldened and the U.S. got nothing. Dan Dale over at the Toronto Star uh, tweeted, Trump boasted that this agreement far exceeded skeptics' expectations. What we've seen so far is precisely the kind of vague and commitment-free agreement that skeptics expected. He notes, though, that some still believe the diplomacy in and of itself is worthwhile. I believe diplomacy is always worthwhile, to be frank, uh, at least compared to the alternative that Donald Trump himself uh, brought about with North Korea, uh, or at least threatened to bring about with North Korea last year. As New York Times columnist Max Fisher observed, expert analysts are at repeated pains to remind us that it was Kim Jong-un who forced Trump to the table by developing nuclear-capable ICBMs. Talk of Trump making the summit happen is just silly, he says. That, of course, won't stop Trump's admirers, who apparently know very little about what has actually happened under previous presidents with far more comprehensive agreements uh, with North Korea that North Korea eventually broke. That won't stop his admirers from singing his praises, calling for Nobel Peace Prizes. And yes, pretending that none of that actually matters. We are starting from scratch. History apparently begins now. I would argue, however, it does matter as we learn from history, or at least we should. Certainly our president should, but does not appear to have done so. Some of that history is next uh, with former U.S. State Department official for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, Michael Fuchs. He will join us next to discuss both history and our future with North Korea and what this Joint statement of President Donald J. Trump of the United States and Chairman Kim Jong-un of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea at the Singapore summit actually means. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. As former State Department official Michael H. Fuchs writes in The Guardian today, the Singapore summit was the latest episode in the TV series starring the U.S. President Donald Trump, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, and a stockpile of nuclear weapons. 
And the episode was one of those deeply intriguing yet unsatisfying cliffhangers, leaving the audience wondering what happens next. There comes a time when only a few are called upon to make a difference. But the question is, what difference will the few make? Destiny Pictures presents a story of opportunity. Two men, two leaders, one destiny. Which path will be chosen? Featuring President Donald Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un in a meeting to remake history, to shine in the sun. One moment, one choice. What if? The future remains to be written. That was not me being snarky here on the broadcast. That was the actual, an actual fake film trailer that apparently Donald Trump showed to Kim Jong-un in Singapore on an iPad at the beginning of their historic meeting on Tuesday. Seriously. Uh, as Michael Fuchs continues at The Guardian today, welcome to diplomacy, reality TV style. Both sides wanted a show for the cameras, and they got it. But this, of course, is not TV. It was the first ever meeting between a sitting U.S. president and a leader of North Korea to discuss one of the world's most intractable and dangerous conflicts. In the coming days and weeks, everyone will have a hot take on the historic meeting between Trump and Kim. Critics will say Trump is getting played. Supporters will resuscitate their calls for the president to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. My hot take, Fuchs writes, take a deep breath and put down Twitter. Good advice. He says any genuine progress with North Korea will take time. Likewise, a breakdown in diplomacy may not be visible immediately and its consequences certainly won't be. And with the erratic behavior of both Trump and North Korea, remember that period of a week when uh, the summit was off? Oh, yeah, that was like just a week or so ago. With uh, the erratic behavior of both men, he says expecting negotiations with North Korea to unfold in a linear fashion would be the triumph of hope over experience. With the ups and downs to come, the U.S. must keep its eye on the ball, reducing the North Korean threat to the United States and its allies. And everything must be scrutinized when it comes to North Korea and Donald Trump. Don't trust Verify, he writes. Here now to expand more on his hot take is Michael Fuchs, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs under President Obama, and prior to that, a special advisor to the Secretary of State for Strategic Dialogues under then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. He is now a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Oh, Mr. Fuchs, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here. As I was reading your bio, that your your CV there, Michael, it occurs to me: is there? Do you currently have a counterpart at the State Department currently in the uh, Trump administration? Is there a is there a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs in place right now? And if so, do you know who he or she is and have confidence in them? Uh, yeah, actually, so there are a handful of us. Uh, title sounds fancy, but there are a few of them for each of the bureaus. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a big region in Asia, so uh, they split it up amongst the deputy secretaries. Um, we have a few of them. Um, actually, unfortunately, uh, some of them are 
doing the job in a temporary, what they call acting capacity mm-hmm. right now, because the Trump administration has not gotten around to formally appointing mm-hmm. people for these positions. Um, I am happy to say that the people they have acting in those jobs, for the most part, are um, very highly capable professional diplomats. Uh, Good. Good. That's that's good news uh, to start with here. And I guess staying on that uh, same line for a moment, uh, to put it mildly, I am no fan of Donald Trump, Michael. But uh, and we'll discuss the details of this agreement, this letter, reality TV show cliffhanger, whatever in a moment. But to stay positive here for at least a second, uh, given where we were this time last year on what seemed to be the potential brink of a fire and fury nuclear war. Isn't anything here that forestalls such a potential apocalypse, even if only cooling tempers for a short while? Isn't that ultimately a a positive thing here? Well, yes, but the question is, whose apocalypse are we forestalling here? Uh, You know, I have heard this argument a lot, and not to take it out on you, Mm -hmm. uh, um, but... uh, for months and months, President Trump ratcheted up the tensions, mm-hmm. threatening the potential of a military uh, conflict with North Korea, an unnecessary one, mm-hmm. when we could uh, deter and contain North Korea uh, without war. But he ratcheted up that pressure for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, he turns around to diplomacy, which is what he should be doing. But not only does he, not turn, does he turn around to diplomacy, he immediately accepts the highest level of diplomacy you could possibly do immediately uh, in a face-to-face summit level uh, meeting with the leader of North Korea. And so President Trump has created in the public's eye, I think, this false choice between war, which he was you know, advocating in some ways, mm-hmm. or diplomacy, um, when the reality is that those are not the only two options and not the way he's presenting them. We should be engaged in diplomacy with North Korea, but we should be engaged in it at the right level with the experts negotiating things to see if we can get North Korea to commit to verifiable steps to reduce the threat to the United States instead of, frankly and unfortunately, the sort of pomp and circumstance show that we got out of the President Trump and Kim Jong-un meeting. So, uh, again, I think this is sort of a false choice that's been painted between the two. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, living on the West Coast here, I'm (laughs) breathing easier, at least for the moment, no matter what it took to get us here, uh, given where we were a year ago. But I I do take your point. And with that uh, out of the way, the niceties out of the way, speaking of the experts who have who should have been doing this, who have been doing this before. You know, I got into a, a bit of a spat, late night spat with Fox News's Ed Henry last night as as he was trumpeting uh, all of this. But we have we have seen this before, and I think we need to make this clear because he was not making it clear, obviously, to his Fox News viewers. But you know, this this agreement between Trump and Kim in Singapore on Tuesday sounds a lot like previous attempted peace and disarmament agreements that the U.S. has signed or agreed to with South Korea and North Korea, among others, only less so, if that makes sense. Haven't we seen the same movie before, except without the president of the United States playing such a personal starring role and, and frankly, much more comprehensive details on moving forward in the past? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is... uh a repeat of what we have seen before. We have had numerous agreements, numerous joint statements between the United States and North Korea dating back um, more than 25 years. Um, This statement resembles, to be fair, the least detailed 
the United States have ever put out, such as a statement, joint statement they came together uh, to do in, in 1993, before our first agreement. But this is, as you pointed out, a agreement between the leaders of the two countries, which has never happened mm-hmm. uh, before. It never happened, uh, an agreement out of a meeting between the two leaders. And the president couldn't even get anything close to meeting the bars met by the 1994 agreed framework, um, which actually stayed in place and worked for a handful of years, uh, or the 2005 uh, six-party talks agreement Mm -hmm. um, that worked for at least a little while. Uh, None of the detail that was in those agreements is in this uh, agreement. Uh, And so, again, uh, we are, I think, left uh, with uh, a lot of questions coming out of this summit. And I, you know, and I hate to make you go through all of that and repeat all of that as you did there, but I think people need to hear that. People don't understand that we have been here before and in much uh, more detail than we are uh, now. Donald Trump seemed to repeatedly use the word comprehensive or very comprehensive in in describing this uh, two-page agreement signed on Tuesday. That seems to me to be, A, the opposite of what was actually signed and perhaps uh, B, a preemptive strike, if you will, against those who, who might inevitably compare this agreement to the Iran nuclear deal, which is officially known as the JCPOA or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Am I reading too much into uh, his sort of repeated use of the word comprehensive uh, as this was moving forward on Tuesday? No, there's nothing comprehensive about this uh, agreement. Uh, You know, look, when it comes to negotiating with countries like North Korea or Iran, Uh, It's wise to follow the principle, uh, don't trust, verify. Uh, When dealing with these regimes, you must verify uh, whatever it is that you are agreeing to. Mm -hmm. Um, With the Iran deal, there was the most rigorous and comprehensive set of inspections uh, and verification mechanisms uh, ever put in place for a deal of that type. Uh, 159 pages was actually the length of the document, uh, the Iran deal agreement with its annexes detailing all of the specifics uh, in it. Um, This document uh, is one page, has four points. Um, There are not any details. There, frankly, is nothing in this agreement to verify (laughs) afterwards because North Korea didn't agree to do anything out of this. Um, So, uh, again... I do want to reiterate, diplomacy is the right path to be on with North Korea right now. But it's crucial to know what you're doing when you are engaged in diplomacy. And so I very much hope that this helps jumpstart some sort of a process where Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and the other negotiators can get a real series of concrete commitments from North Korea. Um, but again, I don't think that we got a lot out of this summit. Meeting. What what did we get? What did the U.S. essentially uh, in brief? And it's I think it's easy, easy to do in brief here because there's not much. But what did the U.S. receive and give away in the deal? And what did North Korea receive and give away in the deal? Well, I think what the United States got out of this deal was, uh, that we did not necessarily have going into the deal uh, was a uh, small but still important uh, piece of progress, which is an agreement from North Korea to conduct, uh, allow us to conduct 
searches for the remains of uh, prisoners of war and missing in action, um, uh, U.S. service, service members uh, who uh, went uh, missing or were killed during the Korean War. This is something that we have done from time to time in North Korea. There are still, again, you know, service members uh, who fought in the Korean War who are whose remains are there in North Korea. And so this is a humanitarian gesture. There are families in the United States for whom, of course, this is very important. And this, again, this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, we did not seem to get very much uh, out of North Korea. We didn't get any specifics, any agreements for them to do anything when it comes to stopping or halting their nuclear or missile programs right now. They didn't even reiterate in the agreement that North Korea would continue what has been a month-long freeze on its testing of nuclear weapons and missiles. Uh, and so again, we just did not get very much uh, from North Korea. Uh, what did North Korea get out of this? Well, I think what North Korea got out of this was some serious credibility on the international stage. Uh, you know, before the last couple of months, Kim Jong-un had been in power for about six years, Mm -hmm. uh, and had not once, not once, to anyone's knowledge, met with a foreign leader. Now, he has met with Moon Jae-in, the president of South Korea, twice, the president of China, Xi Jinping, twice, and he is slated to meet potentially with a number of other foreign leaders. He has met with the leader of Singapore now, and, of course, he has gotten the most coveted prize of all international diplomacy, a face-to-face meeting with the president of the United States. Uh, that is a huge propaganda victory for uh, North Korea. Um, And again, we didn't seem to get very much for that. We don't even have, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, a definition of what, quote, denuclearization of the Korean peninsula actually means in the document. They talk about it. Trump has talked about it. But this is an important point that I, I don't hear discussed nearly enough. What does Kim and North Korea see as denuclearization of the Korean peninsula versus what does U.S., the U.S. and and Donald Trump see that as? And I realize Trump may see it differently than the U.S. Uh, in, an, in you know, as an official entity here. But are, are, are we able to tell if we're even using the same definitions at this point? No, we can't, is the short answer. Um, and this, of course, is the crux of the entire matter, is what do both sides mean by denuclearization and what is North Korea willing to do? And it's clear to me that the vague language in this statement is the result of not getting uh, agreement from the two parties on what they mean. Uh, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. The 2005 statement agreement between the six parties, China, Japan, North Korea, South Korea, Russia, and the United States, the sort of the last major agreement of this nature, had the North Koreans commit specifically to, and quoting here, I'm reading it, mm-hmm. uh, quote, abandoning all nuclear weapons and existing nuclear programs, end quote. That is very specific about what North Korea is willing, was willing uh, to do, what agreed to, it's agreed to do. But here is using the phrase denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, and that means two very different things. For the United States, people listen to it and they think that it means North Korea is going to give up its nuclear weapons. But the reality is that North Korea sees it very differently. They see that phrase meaning that a whole new security situation on the Korean Peninsula, North and South Korea, uh, needs to change. That the United States should remove its troops from South Korea, it should end its alliance with South Korea. Um, 
And when that all happens, North Korea might also be willing to uh, give up its nuclear weapons. So again, we are not on the same page, at least not from what we can tell publicly right now. So when they say denuclearization, they're talking about denuclearization of the U.S., of us, uh, South Korea, the the, uh, nuclear weapons that we have, protecting them, protecting Japan, etc. They're talking not just about giving up their weapons, but us giving up ours in the region as well, correct? Absolutely, and I think that this is a key point to help understand what came out of the summit yesterday, because we don't have a mutual agreement on what this means. And so what North Korea likely sees this summit meeting uh, and this negotiations process indicating is legitimizing North Korea on the world stage as a nuclear power, saying that Kim Jong-un has now got nuclear weapons and therefore we should negotiate with him. And North Korea sees it as, again, a sort of you know, uh, uh, paying homage to that fact um, and negotiating as equals. And again, I don't think that that's the message that Donald Trump and his negotiating team uh, is intending to send right now. The uh, well, Donald Trump did apparently commit in this uh, press conference that he held afterwards, this hour long press conference by himself, um, announced that he seemed to be committing to pull U.S. troops out of the region, apparently both South Korea and the U.S. military themselves uh, today were reportedly stunned by this commitment, uh, at least to end military exercises there, and that uh, he went on to describe them, and I would say in this case accurately, but it's notable that this is the way North Korea also describes uh, uh, these exercises as provocative. He uh, seemed to commit to ending those exercises um, and is that a, that seems to me to be a good thing, at least moving us in the right direction, but not telling the Pentagon about it in advance? Is that possible? With Donald Trump, of course, I think it's very possible <laughs> um, and seems very very likely. Um, you know, look, I think that uh, on the one hand, we've got a president who uh, flies by the seat of his pants. And so this seemed at least to be something that he came up with at some point along the way. It seems likely that Kim Jong-un asked him about this during their meetings, requested that the United States stop its military exercises. I think that that seems logical and likely in no small part because when the president announced it, he referred to our own military exercises, U.S. military exercises with our ally South Korea as quote-unquote provocative. Now, that's exactly the language that Kim Jong-un uses to describe our exercises, which, of course, are completely defensive in nature, are for training purposes, and are to ensure that our military and our allies can work together to safeguard our people and our citizens in a South Korean country from an attack from North Korea. And so what the president did here, again, I think, is not just signal his willingness to trade with these things, because we can debate whether or not there is value potentially Mm -hmm. in changing the exercises in a certain way, or at some point for progress, reducing the number of troops to a certain level. Those are things we can debate. But what the president clearly did here was, again, fly by the seat of his pants, announce something that was not prepared. He took our allies, not to mention the Pentagon, completely by surprise. And it's just not the way to do effective diplomacy. Yeah, well, there are things we can debate, and those there are also uh, things that would be, in a normal presidency, I guess, included as part of a deal, that you would give these things in exchange for something specific. We've got just a, a few minutes here, uh, Michael. The North Korea 
I know is uh, one of the most, if 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 not the most, uh, brutal regimes on the entire globe. From a diplomatic perspective, is the lack of seemingly any discussion about that, about human rights in this uh, this agreement, is that to be expected in an early phase document like this? Or is it a concern to you that there seems to be no reference, no mention of it at all in the uh, in that document? No. So uh, this is a very important issue. I think that there, I'm not very concerned by the fact that there was not a mention specifically of human rights in the written agreement. Mm-hmm. Our, our primary concern and the purpose of these negotiations is to address the nuclear and missile threat from North Korea. And so it's absolutely appropriate that that's what the written agreement focused on. But this is the first time that the leader of the United States sitting president is meeting with the leader of North Korea. North Korea, of course, runs the most brutal dictatorship on the face of the planet. The idea that we would not be simultaneously trying to address the human rights concerns, to me, is incredibly uh, concerning. Now, the president claims that he did mention it, and I very much hope that that is the case. Uh, But what seemed to sort of cancel that out was the fact that the president repeatedly in his press conference and interviews he gave after the summit when asked about human rights seemed to try to whitewash what Kim Jong-un does to his own people when asked uh, about the issue. And and that was, for me, just absolutely shameful for a U.S. president. Not only what he does to his own people, but but what he's done to our people, to Americans. It wasn't that long ago that uh, they sent an American home in a coma who died shortly thereafter. That was just a few months ago, if I recall. Michael Fuchs, you mentioned the uh, the idea of getting rid of the nuclear and missile program in North Korea. But unless I'm missing something here, there's nothing in this uh, agreement about the North Korea's missile program. Wasn't that one of the major uh, Trump's Trump complaints about the Iran nuclear deal that it didn't deal with Iran's missile program? It only dealt with their nuclear program. Uh, which, you know, he called that uh, th- that agreement before he pulled us out of it, you know, one of the most embarrassing, one of the worst deals ever for the U.S. because it didn't speak to their missile program. That seems to be the case here, at least in this agreement, unless I'm missing something. Am I wrong on that? Uh, nope. <laughs> you're, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, the president's been talking about this for quite some time as a top priority. I believe he even tweeted about it. Uh, at the very beginning of 2017, saying that we will not allow North Korea to get a ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile that could reach the United States. And the reality, again, is that we don't know whether or not this issue was uh, addressed because it's not anywhere in the statement. But frankly, again, n- no specifics are in the statement no. about nuclear weapons or missiles. But no, no specifics. But they did talk about, you know, denuclearization of the peninsula. You would think, since this is just a a framework, if you will, for moving forward, that they could have, you know, tossed that in. Hey, we are committed to discussing and talking about and considering getting rid of our missile program. I understand why they didn't, but I'm just, you know, thinking since, you know, given the fit that Donald Trump has thrown over the Iran deal and, you know, supposedly uh, focusing on the lack of dealing with missiles, that seemed uh, an odd thing to be left out of this agreement. Uh, Before I let you go, Michael, did you happen to see... 
that bizarre uh, five-minute mock movie trailer featuring a glorious vision of peace and detente between Trump and Kim that uh, Trump apparently showed uh, Kim before the meeting I played at the uh, beginning of this segment here. Did you see that, A, and B, in your experience, your many years of experience as a diplomat, have you ever seen anything like that before in these kind of situations and negotiations? No. I, I saw the video, and the answer is no. Uh, we are in uh, we're uncharted territory with a lot of things, obviously, when it comes to, to President Trump. And this uh, uh, is just the latest for me. Um, but it was completely surreal. And frankly, I'm not even sure what the goal was um, in, uh, in showing the video. It seemed to be a sort of public propaganda video um, uh, for President Trump. Um, and he maybe thought that uh, Kim Jong-un would be uh, enticed uh, by such a positive spin uh, on this. But uh, again, you know, I think it just show, reinforced to me that, you know, Kim Jong-un is coming out of this summit with a spring in his step. And I just don't know what the United States came away from with the summit with. Uh, We came away, I think, with more questions than answers and uh, many more questions, perhaps, than we even went into uh, with it. Uh, This is going to be a continuing, as you describe it at The Guardian, uh, you know, a continuing reality TV show that we try to make sense of one cliffhanger after another. Michael H. Fuchs, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, under President Obama, uh, now at the uh, Center for a Senior Fellow at the Center for American Progress. Greatly appreciate your uh, helping us here today, Michael. And uh, please don't be alarmed if we call you again in the not-too-distant future after the uh, next season cliffhanger. My pleasure. It's great to be with you guys. <laughs> you bet. Okay, uh, quick break. And, we're you know, Des, I, as insane as all of this is, I got to say, I am still far more comfortable at this point than I was back when Trump was calling him uh, Rocket Man and promising fire and fury like the world has never seen before. Oh, indeed. I mean, a- a diplomacy is yeah. good. It keeps the process going. It keeps things in a holding pattern, which means well, they're not getting worse. They may not be getting better, but at least they're not getting worse. So there is that, at least. And, of course, uh, trying to help people understand what's actually going on and what isn't going on continues to be difficult. I had mentioned that little uh, spat that I had with Fox News's Ed Henry last night or oh, at two yeah. or three in the morning uh, because he was talking about, you know, how historic we've never had such an agreement with North Korea. And I uh, noted to him somewhat snarkily, I admit <laughs> that, uh, oh, don't don't tell your listeners that we've had these agreements before. Uh, including under Bill Clinton. And then I pointed to one of them, which is, in fact, an agreement for the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, uh, you should from, know about from, that. Well, this was from 19... The one I pointed to was from 1992. There's actually tons of them. 92, 95... 2005, uh, 2000, I've 2000, right, exactly. There's tons of them. Uh, I happen to point to that one uh, when saying, uh, you know, don't let your listeners know that this also happened under Bill Clinton and right. pointed to that one that was 92. And he and Ed wrote back uh, something along the lines of, well, Bill Clinton wasn't even president in 1992. So nice going, loser or something like that. Oh, boy. Seriously, dude. Uh, You know, and I said, look, uh, put George H.W. Bush in instead of Bill Clinton in that particular tweet. It is still completely true. 
and I think you might want to let your listeners know about it. And he came back with another snarky comment, at which case all of his followers, and man, are they ugly and brutal. And telling rabid. me that rabid, telling me, uh, you know, how fake news that I would even say such a thing. I'm such a loser. I should give it up. I mean, it was just remarkable from people who had, you know, nice photographs. Oh, she looks like a nice woman in uh, Kansas or something. I mean, they are so angry. Yeah, their and level of insanity is, is shocking to me when I try to look at them, and I try not to. And and just so wildly misinformed and disinformed and from guys like Ed, uh, Ed Henry, who's their uh, top Washington correspondent or something. Yeah, and happy about it. And I, maybe I get it from them. I would have thought Ed Henry would have been normal. I didn't realize that, uh, you know, covering Trump meant you had to become Trump. Apparently, that's what Ed Henry has now become. Sad. Sad. Mm -hmm. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Okay, Desi Doyen, one of those days when the Green News Report is the light and fluffy portion of our program. <laughs> yeah, sorry about There's that. There's <laughs> that. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. No, don't be sorry. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. It, it ain't your fault. And... Uh, and actually, it's interesting because Donald Trump went straight from turning on our allies at the G7, turning on that dastardly Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and embracing this monster from North Korea. Uh, so that's where we are these days uh, yep. as you detail in our latest green news report there's a, a special place in hell for any foreign leader that engages in bad faith diplomacy with president donald j trump at the center of trump's turn against allies at the g7 climate change cal fire investigators point the finger right at the utility for what happened last october investigators say california electric company at fault in deadly wine country fires last fall EPA plans to overhaul cost-benefit analysis of pollution regulations in industry's favor, plus... We are at risk of choking our oceans and plastic. Global movement to ban single-use plastics gains momentum. All of that momentum and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Yeah, he went to the uh, big G7 meeting every year, our allies in Canada, and he didn't want to go. Then, like the bore he is, he left early, skipped the climate part. Boring! <laughs> <laughs> yep, I mean... This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, climate, not boring at all. Nope. And as it turns out, at the center of Donald Trump's little hissy fit over the weekend at the G7. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are learning more about the fit that U.S. President Donald Trump threw at the end of the G7 summit in Quebec over the weekend. Trump had planned to skip out early, missing high-level meetings on climate change, clean energy, and oceans. He had originally agreed to join the traditional final joint statement with the other G7 leaders, but after his departure, abruptly reversed himself and repudiated it. According to the Toronto Star, Trump did not want to agree to sign a declaration on climate change that referenced the Paris Accord or sign on to an oceans charter which contained targets on plastics. The Star reports, quote, no one expected Trump would sign on to the climate change piece, but they'd hoped the U.S. would agree to take joint action to tackle plastic pollution in the world's oceans. In the end, it didn't. Unbelievable. So, yeah, climate change, I can understand. He's been a longtime denier, but he's even against cleaning plastic out of the ocean? Apparently so. The final joint statement included an endorsement of the G7 Ocean Plastics Charter. That's an agreement that sets specific goals of working with industry towards 100% reusable and recyclable plastics by 2030 and a target of recycling more than half of all global plastic packaging by 2030. The remaining G6 nations all recommitted to the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, which Trump announced last year he will withdraw from as early as possible. So embarrassing. Meanwhile, Trump's tariffs on solar panels imported into the United States is already having a negative economic impact. Reuters reports that the tariffs have now forced American renewable energy companies to cancel or freeze their investments in more than two and a half billion dollars in major projects focused on large utility scale installations, sidelining thousands of construction jobs to boot. He's a fantastic deal maker, isn't he? Meanwhile, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency has announced it plans to undo a major part of the process that underpins all pollution standards. At the request of industry, the EPA will change how it approaches cost-benefit analysis, in which it weighs the cost of regulations to industry against the costs to Americans from illnesses caused by polluted air and water. Trump's EPA proposes to downplay the benefits to people from reducing pollution, like avoided public health care costs and lives saved from fewer cancers and diseases. Bottom line, the Trump EPA proposes to instead give greater weight to whether the cost to industry is really worth the benefit of not harming Americans. Mm. Meanwhile, in California, investor-owned utility Pacific Gas and Electric may face criminal charges in the catastrophic wine country wildfires last October. In a new report, state fire officials say they found, quote, evidence of alleged violations of law by PG&E in connection with eight of the 12 deadly blazes, which investigators say were ignited by electrical equipment owned by PG&E that it failed to maintain. Overall, the fires killed 44 people, burned hundreds of square miles, and caused $10 billion in losses. PG&E is seeking to raise rates on its customers to cover any possible fines and judgments. But finally, some good news. The global movement to end the scourge of plastic pollution, a big concern at the G7 meeting, is now gaining momentum with new bans on single-use plastic items. Last week, India's government announced a target of eliminating single-use plastics completely by 2022, 
two. And now three major companies, IKEA, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, and SeaWorld, announced they will phase out plastic straws and bags from all of their properties. And on July 1st, Seattle will become the largest city in the United States to eliminate all plastic straws and utensils in restaurants. So the world continues to ignore Donald Trump anyway and anywhere and anytime we can. Wherever possible. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Yes, pretty please. Uh, Des, there's one uh, point. There, were, there was two stories uh, in your Green News report today that uh, sort of combined together, at least in my brain. Uh, one is the fact that the EPA is getting is doing away with the cost-benefit analysis to determine whether regulations are worth it at all. Yeah, if it's uh, worth it to industry to not harm Americans. Right. Uh, it'll save them more money. Uh, who cares how many people get killed or sick? And then the story about PG&E out here in California that was they were not doing their proper maintenance on their equipment around power lines. That led to those fires that killed... 44, 44 people. 44, hundreds of homes destroyed, $10 billion spent. Uh, it, so if you applied the cost-benefit measure that... Uh, Scott Pruitt of the EPA no longer wants to, uh, you know, and said, well, look, how much will it cost industry in order to take care of their equipment uh, and maintain those lines? Well, it'll cost them too much. Uh, who cares if 44 people die, hundreds, hundreds, uh, hundreds of homes are destroyed and 10 billions of dollars have to be spent. That's the kind of thing they're talking about with this cost-benefit, uh, with doing away with these cost-benefit questions. That is their calculation. All right, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Michael Fuchs of the Center for American Progress, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, it's always available to download for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue our work over your public airwaves each and every day. We really need your help. Bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.